Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. I'm David Garig, and today uh, I'm going to deal with um, somebody wrote me a student, an earnest student, and uh, to, she asked, um, like, where is where is it all leading, and um, and specifically like Ashtanga and um, this idea of like progressing through these different series, like first series to second series to third series and um, and like kind of continually graduating to heart more more challenging postures and potentially more dangerous and scary postures and certainly more complex and um, and it and then she's like asking yeah where is it leading and then is it absolutely necessary to kind of go as deep as your body will go or is that like the point or and or is that leading you to where you need to go and so so i find that a very very relevant and and i i applaud her for questioning that and i feel like uh there's a lot of uh what we could say is confusion or um, just mis, misguidance or uh, misinformation or um, hidden assumptions that are not true. Uh, and, and I think th that her question is coming from a slightly different angle than, uh, than is more typical, but I'm going to address both of these angles that I, because I, I think they, they're, they're in the same world and the same topic and so I think that um, many students they um, that they may like um, this student feel some kind of pressure to um, keep advancing and do advanced series and um, and then she this woman that wrote the question she's kind of finding that um, that the postures uh, strain the body and they, they feel dangerous and scary and she's not sure about that. And, and I think that uh, a lot of people overlook that aspect. That And the reason why people would uh, kind of put their body at risk or keep really trying to push and uh, do more challenging asanas, uh, it could be a sense of um, pressure and thinking that that that's how that's what Ashtanga is about, and somehow that the the more advanced you you get in your series, then and the facing those challenges and um, having the dedication and the sacrifice um, that those things make you grow as a person and as a yogi, and uh, and they will also like give you more power and strength to out in your daily life, and so I, I think. S that, yeah, I feel like people go with that assumption and also, though, people get attached. That, um, that for some reason, um, that it's kind of like what separates someone that does hatha yoga from someone that's not attracted to it is um, there's some kind of, uh, it's like a bait in a way, like we're like, uh, fish that are and there's a certain bait that that uh, hooks us and that gets us to um, to buy into it or to make an effort and try and for some reason we get hooked into these postures that 
another person absolute has absolutely no uh not compelled like to get up every day and work six days a week um, to try to put their leg behind their head or to drop back in a back bend and catch their ankles or um, all these um, things that we try to do right and um, and so not only do we get hooked into them but we we get attached and we start to um, our ego can get involved in it like in a in an inflated sense and in a deflated sense meaning we can do it as compensation thinking that somehow if we can put our leg behind our head or like flow through the third series um, arm balances or whatever these tasks are that then somehow we're worthy right that we become a, um, a better person and um, and it kind of proves our worth somehow um, or the other is is that it puffs us up we think that we're hot stuff and that we've got some power because um, we can do these things and um, and so it's the this student that stopped and said whoa wait a minute hold on like where's this all leading this is a question that we we all need to ask and so that's kind of the subject of the, the podcast and I'm, I'm gonna uh, kind of give you some poems some um, passages from the sacred texts and uh, and some stories and try to um, address it and so um, to start with which one thing I want you to remember or what I what I think um, is that that Ashtanga because it people get very stuck on thinking that that it's very it's necessary to do all the poses in order um, kind of that that's the practice and if you deviate away from that somehow you're not doing Ashtanga or um, and, and this kind of thing and so to like um, customize to leave out poses and um, and do things like this is uh, is a frowned upon okay and and to me, what I feel is that, in a, th that those sequences and following the recipe and doing your practice six days a week and doing vinyasas between poses and doing first series or second series, those are all very excellent general guidelines. Okay, they give you a kind of spirit and a template for uh, how to practice. And I've said this in, uh, I'd say it very often in my teaching, but that to me the practice it's um it has these kind of groupings that are making for an excellent daily practice template which is um you've got your surya namaskara you're standing and then uh, on on one end um, on the beginning end and then on the end you have your finishing postures okay and then in the middle you've got some kind of sequence uh, first series second series third series what what have you and um and in order to have a healthy practice, you don't necessarily need to do like five Surya Namaskara A, five B, and all of those standing poses in the exact order every day, and then all of first series, or right? And like that, that those are, um, that's a template, and you can kind of uh, mix it up and uh, interpret it differently. Um, according to the the different um, 
aspects of your uh, that make up you and your life, like um, your uh, your responsibilities, the the amount of energy you're willing to put in, uh, your experience level, your aptitude for the yoga, uh, your age, your fitness level. God, so many um, factors are are going into that, and um, and what I'm telling you that it is uh, this is how Krishnamacharya he. He wrote it down and said it that um, that that it, w the teacher needs to consider all of those factors that I just mentioned when um, teaching a student, and that he says it point blank: not all postures are meant for every student. Okay, and so so that that is one thing to to keep in mind that um, and and not just to keep in mind, but to square on because people have a, such a difficult time with this and, and it, it's interesting some people I think the, I'm not sure why they get so attached to it but partly it takes the guesswork out of it and it takes like then you're not making um, choices that um, you're not having to say well I, I want I'll do this and not that you know it's very clear very crystal clear you do this and there's something inviting about that. I mean, some people do it out of a sense of feeling like they should and following the rules, and, um, and some really get attached to it. Okay, and so um, I just encourage you not to get too attached to it. That and um, and there's also some kind of um, what I think of as a mythical idea. That's again, it it, it has there's a general these are general things. They're not specific, which is that we, we get this idea that doing the first series in that order, in that way, is, is magical. Like that you, you have to do Marichyasana C, and then D, and then Navasana, and then Bhujapitasana, right? In order to kind of unlock this secret key to the, to the body, to the asanas and the consciousness. And... Yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't think that is, I, I don't go for that myself. I, it hasn't borne out in experience um, with, with me. But in a general way, sequencing is important. And I, I see the wisdom of doing standing poses before seated postures and fin doing your um, closing postures, uh, these inversions and things at the end. Like the, all of this is logical and um, going to kind of lead to an opening of, of a doors of perception. Um, and then I think another reason people do the, um, they get really attached to following the sequence is because of this idea of like kind of nonstop flow and focus. And there's something to be said for that. But again, in my experience, uh, I feel that that's, it's overrated. And um, and that the Mysore class is actually meant for uh, breaking things up and um, not just flowing um, from start to finish without ever stopping and accounting for every breath. Um, that, in fact, uh, I liken it to um, musicians practicing. And um, they don't, when a musician practices, they don't just um, get out their instrument and then play every song all the way through. Um, and then that's how they do it, right? That, um, or certainly a big, uh, a lot of musicians don't do it that way. They do what's called chunking, where 
they take certain sections of songs and work on those and create drills around them and kind of identify weaknesses and um, repeat different things. And, and this is how it, I recommend you practice. And, um, and over the years, I've come to um, the conclusion that, you see, me, what I, what I say about this um, Hatha Yoga technology is that it's, it's some of the best preventative medicine that is available to a human being, period. Like, out of everything you could do to be, have, to be healthy and strong and um, uh, operate your mind well and um, use your body and mind to um, um, pierce through to the spiritual dimension of your life, that um, Hatha Yoga is a very um, uh, serious and important um, technology for a human being. Okay, and it's so serious and important that we can't get lost in um, kind of trivial, what I consider like trivial or um, irrelevant aspects of it. And to me, the more complex the posture gets, the less important or relevant it is. And so the less of a general sampling of people that can could do it, uh, the less important it is and the less um, emphasis that needs to be placed on it. And this is why I, I basically, I advocate for um, Surya Namaskara standing and finishing poses, that that's your foundation of your daily practice. And then the um, in-between is something like some postures from first or second or third based entirely on um, individual um, circumstances. Okay, and, um, and you see, Ashtanga is such an excellent technology that to me, it's a, I'm, I'm passionate about this subject because if you insist on doing everybody doing every series exactly like it's um, written down, then you basically make that technology unavailable to uh, the majority of people. Okay, and, and me, I'm trying to figure out how can we open this technology up and make it accessible to the most number of people. And so the, the idea that that student asked was like, where's this all leading? And, um, and where, wherever it's leading, whether it's to um, physical, optimal physical health, optimal um, mental health, and um, the ability to focus your mind, to concentrate, so um, to create um, absorption, and, and also to a spiritual experience of yourself and the world, that, um, that where th those places where yoga leads, you can get there with the foundational postures, everyone. Okay, so you don't have to progress through um, a first to second to third series to do that. Not any person, not any, okay? You understand that it's not, that isn't what the system is based on, that's not where it's leading, or that's not how you get to where it's leading to. And thank God, right? So, because then it would mean that only the, what I call the superhumans, um, you know, the people that are ultra strong and flexible, 
that, that they're the only ones that can r reach um, optimal health, uh, mental, physical, mental, and um, and get to the spiritual aspect um, of their life. Okay, so this is not at all the way um, things are, and and in fact, I call this. Um, it's a Hatha yoga is very much a layman's um, art. A layman. It's for everyday person. Uh, discipline for everybody, an everyday person, not for superhumans. And um, but we, and but you understand that um, to do the primary series, even the primary, forget about the second or third or fourth series, to do it as it's written down in its totality requires a superhuman, and it requires um, deep strength and flexibility. And, um, and so uh, I, fe I feel like um, we're regularly um, or just automatically uh, underestimating how difficult uh, like doing the primary series is. And, um, and, so, and so what that means is not that Ashtanga is irrelevant or the primary series is, is irrelevant to... Um, people that won't be able to um, to rise up to that degree of difficulty. No, it means that we modify, we customize, we, we, we back out and find the steps, um, and we very much um, look into all the details of the complexity of the system, and then um, slowly, slowly practice with intelligence and uh, good strategy and find our way um, along the, a set of steps for every pose, and then we can interface with those, um, with the system, in a very in an intelligent way that um, that nurtures us and, and helps us to grow. So, um, at this point, I am going to kind of get bring in some different texts and things, and um, and backing up what I'm saying to you. All right, so uh, first I'm going to give you, tell you a story from the Aesop's Fables. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Um, and this one's about, it's called The Peacock's Complaint. Okay, and so I'm going to summarize it basically. But So there's a, a peacock that um, complained to the goddess Juno that says, Man, it's not fair that the nightingale should have such a lovely voice, but I, I croak along like a, a rusty gate. And... And Juno liked the peacock, and so she said, uh, tried to kind of um, t reason with the, the peacock and said, yeah, the nightingale has a nice voice, but um, that's the way it should be, and you're much more beautiful and bigger than her. I mean, isn't that enough? And the peacock's like, no, I, I ought to be big and beautiful and sing just as well as she does, too. <laughs> right? And then that's when the Juno kind of scolded the peacock and said, um, and went through like all the animals. The eagle is strong. The nightingale can sing. You're beautiful. Parrots can talk like people. Doves are innocent. See, that's the way things are in this world. And um, and none of the rest are complaining. And um, so they're all contented with being themselves. And unless you want to be miserable all the time, then you had better learn to be the same. Then the and that's you can just think of that. Um, story all on your own, but uh, the Aesop fable gives you a point, which is funny because sometimes they're 
they're unexpected or they're kind of they go off on a tangent or at least I would think and this one here's this one though it says so here's the point you don't do yourself or anybody else any good when you're dissatisfied with your lot you might as well just make the best of it okay and you see this th this speaks to what uh, our conversation in the sense that we don't all get everything you see and and we get very attached to um to, to looking at what other people can do. And we want to be able to do every kind of pose. And um, so when Krishnamacharya, when he's saying, you know, that not every pose is for everybody, this you have to take to heart. And and see, this is the thing. that, that This is why I love the foundational poses. is because basically the, the basic poses are basically for everybody. Everybody can make a try at it. Okay, and then from there, as things get more complex, there's at least, at the very least, genetics plays a role, and um, and so, um, but then there's the, there's other factors too, like um, like what we've gone through, age and um, responsibility level and um, time commitment and um, and even aptitude, and. Um, Right, and so kinesthetic awareness and these things play into it, and and so you have to be happy with what what you can do, and um, and not get carried away, and and, um, and that brings me to uh, an amazing passage in the Bhagavad Gita that sort of uh, takes it a little bit different angle, but uh, it's really important, um, and it's in the chapter. Uh, chapter 2 at the end and um, it's on the it, it's on it's called the yoga of wisdom oh, sorry that's chapter 4 chapter 4 the yoga of wisdom and basically this set of stanzas it they go through a whole list of um, Krishna is talking to Arjuna and it says that everyone has their own style of worship and he goes through all kinds of different examples, and um, and so do, if you do Ashtanga, that's your that's a style of worship. But then you could say even your own unique practice within Ashtanga is going to be different than um, everybody else's. And and then here's what he concludes about that though that's um, so so important. He says um, so thus there's many forms of worship may lead to freedom, um, Arjuna. And, and all, but here it is, and all these are born of action. See, so, so, so what's important is that, well, is you find your own style of worship, but, but, and it's very active. Like, um, you have to kind of go out there and find it and, and do it. And, and then here's what I want to bring to you, though. He says, though, better than any ritual. Okay, so and a ritual is like doing asanas or or sequence of asanas, right? So better than any ritual is the worship that's achieved through wisdom. Okay, and it says wisdom is the final goal of every action, Arjuna. Okay, and. Um, and what is wisdom? So if you look it up in the dictionary, it's very, um, very cool and interesting. And, and so remember, wisdom is the goal of every action.
Um, and so what you're looking for when you're doing your um, sequence of postures or when you're choose, see, see, and wisdom helps you to choose which postures are appropriate for you. And um, it's because, uh, yeah, so it says wisdom is, it's the ability to use experience, knowledge, and knowledge, okay, experience and knowledge to make good um, decisions and have good judgment. Or it's the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And here's what I want to tell you. Um, this might sound radical, but um, or um, controversial, but beyond the foundational asanas, I would say. So, the whatever asanas you do beyond the foundational asanas is entirely up to you. And and I would go as far as to say that. Um, you wanting to do those poses is a big determiner of whether you should do them or not. Okay, um, so you have to consider like the peacock where um, not everybody can do everything. So there's some poses, they're not going to be open to you. And, um, and, 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 and I guess I would add the little parentheses, unless you're willing to modify them um, and find an appropriate step. Okay, because that is very possible that, but some poses may be complete, like there may not be a suitable step for you and you just have to face that. But, um, but within the, um, the possibility, of, within the number of asanas, the list of asanas that are available to you in first series, second series, third, fourth, um, it's really based on you and, and your taste and I'll even go as to say your liking and um, or what um, what comes to you easily what you gravitate towards okay and and people say you should do these hard postures that make you give you an aversion so that you kind of grow and um, and overcome the klesha of dvesha of kind of aversion to displeasure and I don't know. I, me, I feel like there's enough challenge in there um, and that you, you, you really don't need to do postures that, um, that you don't want to do. I'm sorry. I'll just come right out and say it. In my world, you don't need to do postures you don't want to do. Okay? And, um, and I love that. Um, and, and what you're looking for, see, here's what you're looking for. You're looking for to gain wisdom from your action. So you're looking to, um, to just like that definition says, you're looking to, um, the, to create a sound action or, and, or make a sound decision about what you should do or are doing um, with regard to your experience, and your knowledge, and your good judgment. Okay, and so, and you understand there's a certain amount of risk in that because you have to go into an experience to get experience and you have to go from ignorance to knowledge to get knowledge and, right, and you might uh, misjudge and um, have poor judgment on the way to good judgment or, 
or those it might alternate you might alternate between ignorance and knowledge and poor judgment and good judgment and, and you could say that that's what practice is for okay but but even but then again this is why i advocate for um, practicing the foundational asanas and then practicing the asanas that are well if you're going to go beyond the foundation practicing the ones that are well within your um, kind of um, ability to do because what then when you're you there isn't so much risk you're not laying so much on the line right so when you make a poor judgment doing a standing pose um, your the consequence will be not as dire as if you make a poor judgment like putting your leg behind your head or um, trying to do some deep backbend, right? So you're trying to kind of open up this uh, investigation and this ex exploration that leads you to, um, to wisdom. And, um, and you want a, a, the, the, ex the, the right amount of risk right, and challenge. Okay, and not to go too far, and and this is what I was saying um, earlier is that we underestimate the degree of difficulty of the things we're trying to do. This is a a kind of uh, you could say a epidemic in Ashtanga that um, people are constantly trying things beyond their current skill level um, that are and uh, and it brings me to. See, here's what, what here's a, a kind of uh, principle I encourage you to practice by. Uh, there's two of them. One is you repeat only what you want to reinforce. Okay, and that means a transition or a, a posture. So if you repeat a faulty transition or a faulty misaligned pose again and again and expect that to become, eventually turn into the right thing, this is a mistaken notion and it's a misinterpretation of the idea that do your practice and all is coming okay so you 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 have to repeat what you the, the positive thing that you want to do and that means you have to find the the step that you're able to do with skill and so and that brings me to this second principle which is that to me a um a simpler posture uh or a simpler step in a pose done with a, um, a high standard is far more valuable than doing a more complex um, version, a, 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 a more complex pose or a more complex step in a pose at, at a lesser um, quality, a lower quality. Okay, so Doing small things at a high quality is better than doing uh, more difficult things at a low quality. All right, and so it, that that statement just shows you that you the foundation of the practice is where you want to orient your attention, and um, and if you're going to do more complex poses, you're going to build into them very slowly. And you're going to consider your own um, aptitude to do those poses and your um, your desire to do them. Okay, and I have another passage I want to read to you. It's, a, it's a, quite astounding, actually. Uh, I love this. It's very thought-provoking. It's from the, the Yoga Vashishta. And um, 
what it says is uh, totally amazing, actually. Really, uh, it's worth thinking about. And so, in, in this um, passage, it's talking about um, that, like the, the idea that the student asks, where is this all leading? Okay, and, and right, it's leading to, um, to physical and mental well-being, that's what we've said, but, but ultimately it's leading to um, a spiritual uh, awakening. Okay, and, and then what um, the Yoga Vashishta says is that, so that th this, it's the nature of a perpetual meditation. So whether one is walking or standing, whether one is awake or asleep, in and through all of one's actions, one should contemplate the Supreme Lord who is seated in the heart and who brings about, as it were, all the modifications within oneself. Okay, so, so this contemplation of this um, secret self that's behind the material self um, is where it's all leading. Okay, and, um, and you don't need to do advanced asanas to do that. And in fact, here, here's what it says. Oh my God, listen to this. This inner intelligence should be worshipped with whatever comes to one unsought. Unsought. So whatever comes to you without seeking. And um, here's another way to say it. Um, they, he says it. The Lord should be worshipped with everything that is obtained without effort. Okay? One should never make the least effort to attain that which one does not possess. <laughs> and and this, this text actually contradicts itself because it, it says something different in other places. But, but let's just contemplate that. I love this in a way. Okay, so, and, and if you apply it to asana, it really means in a way that, um, that there's no need to have, there's no call to have any ambition to do poses you can't do. Okay? It's a, I know, it's a radical idea, but, um, but it's worth contemplating. Okay, and, um, and so... And what, what will your practice look like if you, if you go through and um, here kind of a crude word, but cherry pick, as it were, uh, cherry pick the first series or cherry pick the second series and, um, and do the poses you want to do and that you're, that, that, um, that you have an aptitude for. And, um, and, and, you know, and what's interesting is we can trust ourselves too, you know, because like, I feel like, um, I, I practice by this um, methodology myself, and I do challenging poses that are hard for me. Still, even though I don't require it of myself, and I don't think that like somehow that's necessary for me to grow spiritually or something. So, you, so in, what I'm saying is that it's not that because you don't um, that yoga. So your practice isn't about like. Um, conquering difficult asanas and like mustering the energy and like that right that that's it's just not really what it's about right and and you don't need to be motivated by 
or I don't, right? I, I'll challenge myself um, out of pleasure, out of um, th th because uh, just because I want to, right? Not because I'm a bad person and I'm trying to be good or I'm trying to gain power or get some kind of, um, you know, uh, some benefit from it. And I will say, though, that so in contrast that the Yoga Vashishta, so it says it, that um, the Lord should be worshipped with everything that is obtained without effort. So one should never make the least effort to obtain what um, that which one does not possess. Okay, so it, so so that's an interesting way to approach your practice, is that there's a certain, um, you take what's available to you, and you're happy. Okay, but that, and that extends into your life. You see, this is not just about asanas, it's about all of your um, capabilities and your, your dreams and how, what you'd like to see happen, you know, like that as you negotiate your way, we can become so dissatisfied and so hungry and so driven, thinking that we don't have what we need. And, um, and this text is telling you, no, you don't need to go seeking after something because you already have it. And, um, and then, and what does your life look like? What does your day look like? What do your choices and your actions look like when, you, when you're not just a, you know, like a ravenous beast needing to satisfy a, um, a hunger? But listen to this, though. Um, it's, this is a different passage of the Yoga Vashishta, and it says, for one, it says liberation, so freedom or awakening uh, is at hand. I love this. It's at hand at all times, everywhere. Whew. And But then it says this, that one should wisely and intelligently exert oneself to attain this liberation. So one who does not exert cannot even jump over the footprint of a calf. <laughs> right? And then, so, um, and then it says, you, you've got to resort to spiritual heroism, to right exertion, and by the right self-inquiry, strive to reach the perfection of self-knowledge. And then, um, so for one who th thus strives, the entire universe is like the footprint of a calf. So the whole, the whole universe becomes um, available to you uh, when you, when you uh, I, I love, they used all those beautiful words. Um, there's a certain spiritual heroism that is needed to, um, to find out where the yoga is leading to. And it's a right exertion and a um, right self-inquiry. And you're trying to reach the perfection of self-knowledge. Okay, and, and yet at, in that exertion, the, the, see, and this is the thing, it's right exertion, right? And that's why it's telling you, you don't seek things um, that, that you don't already have. You've got everything you need. And, and, and when you're trying to negotiate that landscape, whether it's in a sequence of asanas or out in your life, it's wisdom you're looking for, right? That the, the wisdom in every action, the, the ability to take your experience and, um, and your knowledge and make a good decision and, um, and, and display good judgment. And your practice is, the, is this arena for that. So it's like, some people, they can take their legs behind their head easily. So why not do it? Go ahead. And then others, 
it, it's terrible for them. They, instantly it'll bring on low back pain or something. And so they don't need to go to that place. Or, um, or some people, they'll have difficulty even pushing up into a backbend and straightening their arms. And others can bend over back and easily grab their, um, their ankles or, their, or up higher. And so everybody's different. And everybody kind of has their own way of going about it. And you've got to find your way. And Ashtanga is, it's not some rigid, um, you know, cookie cutter thing that everybody has to fit into. And, um, it, it, right? No, it's a, it's, a, it's a spirit. There's a spirit to Ashtanga that's based on uh, vinyasa and um, flowing through a sequence of asanas and um, that is open to everybody. And, and, and it's, it's essential to customize that, that template. And uh, so I have a, one, another one for you, another excellent. I have a couple more, actually. One is very simple, and I love this, um, this statement. It's be, and it comes from uh, the Ball um, of Bengal. The, they're like a gypsy poet um, tri tribe that they sing songs and uh, kind of wander um, in, in India. And in one of their it's a very simple one-liner. And this, this, this guy, he just says, uh, worship God if you wish, right? Um, take to the ritual, take to practice, but skip the fancy dress and the silly pose. <laughs> I love that, right? And, and you could say all of them are silly poses, even the foundational ones, but it's more about the, the attitude that we can take, that we can invest way too much importance in um, the poses that we do, and um, and just remember that it's that's not what it's about, right? So worship God if you wish, but skip the fancy dress and the silly pose. Okay, and then here's another amazing thing out of the um, Upanishads. Okay, and this is from the Isha Upanishad, and you just remember that this is coming from the the heart of these um, sacred texts. What we're talking about, okay, and it says um, this is an amazing passage from the Isha Upanishad, and, and it says, "To darkness are they doomed who devote themselves um, only to life in the world." Okay, so it's you. It's a darkness if you're only a material person, and th just this physical world, and is all that um, matters to you. But then it gives you a twist and it says, and, and to a greater darkness, they who devote themselves only to meditation. <laughs> what? Yeah, saying that if you just only get fixed on yoga and thinking like that, right, that only that you have to do this deep practice, deep advanced asanas every day and get all lost and reject the world entirely, well, that you get to an even uh, greater darkness. And so what it says is life in the world alone leads to one result. Meditation alone leads to another. So we have heard from the wise. And then they who devote themselves to both life in the world and to meditation, by life in the world overcome death and by meditation achieve immortality. And this, see, and this to me, it puts the whole yoga practice in context, right? This is 
for everybody. Like we have to take this, it's, it's foundational to being a human being. And, and it's right in the heart. It's, it has to do with being, living in the world, and it has to do with um, questing after and experiencing that um, spiritual dimension of yourself. Okay, and then, then it has another line, and it says that to darkness are they doomed who worship only the body, and to greater darkness they who worship only the spirit. Okay, and so worship of the body alone leads to one result, and worship of the spirit leads to another. So we have heard from the wise, and they who worship both the body and the spirit, by the body overcome death, and by the spirit achieve immortality. Yeah, see, this is uh, amazing that uh, it's uh, looking for this um, middle place, a balance of, um, of opposites and in every case, right? So that there's nothing wrong with advanced asanas, but they certainly aren't um, essential, okay? And, um, and, and so you've got to seek that, your own balance. Um, and then I have one more uh, poem for you, and it, it comes from Kabir, and it's pretty esoteric, but I still want to want to read it to you, because um, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, it's a good one. So, it says, uh, it's kind of a reference to that. Um, there's an Upanishad, right, where there's two birds in a tree. And one is kind of Purusha, it's the, the enjoyer, the observer, and then the other's the worldly person that's eating the fruit and one's observing. But it's not exactly um, quoting that or anything. It's just um, it's it's just it's basically talking about the the Purusha bird in a poem. Okay, and so it says a certain bird sits in this tree, and the delight of life is where it dances. The delight of life is where it dances. And nobody knows where this bird is, nor what all this uh, music means. And so it makes a nest where the branches make the most darkness. It appears at dusk and disappears at dawn, and it never gives one hint of what all this means. <laughs> it never gives a hint of what all this means. Right, so when you're asking where's this all leading, uh, you can't necessarily know. Okay, but it's not over yet. And it says, um, so nobody talks to me about this singing bird. It has no color, nor is it free of color. It has no shape, no form, no boundaries. It sits in the shadow, thrown by love. It sits in the shadow thrown by love. Uh, it lives in what cannot be reached, where time doesn't end, where dying things don't exist, and no one pays any attention to its coming and going. Right? So it, it sits in the shadow thrown by love. It lives in what cannot be reached, where time doesn't end, where dying things don't exist and no one pays any attention to its coming or going. Kabir says, you, brother, you, sister, you, seeker, this whole thing 
is a great mystery. It's a great mystery. And so tell all the wise men, it would be a good thing to know where this bird spends the night. So, okay, so there you have it. Uh, hope you enjoyed that and get some um, good food for thought on your practice. And um, thank you for joining me.